Welcome to the New Zealand Business Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the podcast. I'm Paul Spain, and I'm uh, I'm with Lance Wiggs. Welcome along, Lance. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, uh, you are uh, reasonably well known as, uh, well, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, an investor. You you write for Idealog magazine. Uh, you've got your finger in quite a few pies, haven't you? Um, I wouldn't put it that way, but I, it's a small country. There's only a certain amount of stuff that you can do here um, or a certain amount of size of a business you can create here. So I tend to help a lot of businesses across the country and I tend to help them uh, try to expand beyond the country. I guess that's where I put myself. And those, but those roles are quite varied. Uh, you know, you're well known for having uh, been an advisor to uh, uh, to Sam Morgan and um, Trade Me's uh, board chair, you know, Richard Abbott, when they were looking to uh, to sell to Fairfax Media, which I think they came out uh, out of reasonably well, didn't they? They did okay. Yeah. No. Look, it was a great deal, and I mainly worked with Sam. And those are two very very smart cookies who, you know, you can you can explain this is how these things work and here's how we think about it and let's work together on this but after a while uh, they can take up the ball and run with it so um you know trade me was in very very good hands the the neat thing about trade me though since it sold the shareholders have made 22 percent annualized returns so the question for the audience is if you were an investor in trade me in 2006 would you have sold good question what do you think the growth would have been much different depending on who the shareholders were? Well, they were very lucky with Fairfax, and that was actually part of the deal. Mm. The, the term sheet that we struck was very, very short, and one of those terms was uh, leave us alone. And so Fairfax were a pretty benevolent shareholder and owner and uh, and did largely leave Trade Me Alone, and the bits where Trade Me probably didn't accelerate as much as they could have were generally because they had a, a board that was maybe a bit slower than it could have been. But now they've been unleashed, right? So now they're, they're their own masters, they've got their own board, and they can run. And they need to run because if you look at Trademe's homepage and then you go and look at eBay's homepage, eBay's winning. It looks like Pinterest. It looks like Pinterest with my stuff that I like on eBay's homepage. And if I want to get a job, Trade Me Jobs is just a, a job listing site. I mean, Seek is reprehensibly bad, but mm, Trade mm. Me is still just a job listing site. If I want to get a job... LinkedIn and Twitter, in fact, Twitter is a much better source of jobs than anything else out there. So what's Me doing about that? So they've got their own challenges to, to, to move beyond the current growth into the next phase of growth. Absolutely, absolutely. But it certainly was a good deal. Uh, was that in the range of $750 million, that, uh, that particular one? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what, what's it valued at now? Um, I've, I haven't looked at the market today, but it was around $2 billion a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. And they've paid out about $500 billion in dividends and loans and, and what have you. So it's, uh, you know, if you'd been an investor, you would be sitting, you would have returned $2.5 billion from, rather mm-hmm. than seven fifty. Mm-hmm. If you're a founder, to answer the question asked earlier, then it was probably a smart move to cash out because your 2001 wasn't that far ago uh, in their memories at the time. And... You're always worried that the bubble's going to burst. Um, but as an investor, I was, uh, and my advice was you want to hold on to this beast mm. because it's worth over a billion back then. And, uh, and obviously, you know, it's, it's the best way to make money uh, if you're in the game because it's the game you know. So what was it that gave you the expertise to be able to advise on, uh, you know, on a deal as significant as that? 
just the right guy in the right time. So I'd been uh, in the States, uh, I'd been to uh, Yale and done a bunch of finance, uh, a wide variety of finance papers and strategy papers and uh, and worked at McKinsey in the USA and uh, helped uh, and un- understand and analyze the value of a bunch of companies, including dot-coms, mm. and as we call them back then, don't call them that anymore for some reason, and uh, – and then landed back in New Zealand. I was an eBay user over there as well, and I saw the value of TradeMe early. Um, I did it, worked it out for a high net worth investor, and we tried to buy some shares in 2003, and failed because they were pretty smart, and they didn't need our money. Sure. And uh, and sure enough, you know, fast forward, and the rest is history. Good, good. Now you've got um, yeah. Uh, I guess plenty of experiences working with, uh, you know, with businesses of, of a whole variety of types. Uh, are there any sort of lessons that uh, you know that have come out of that that uh, that you can uh, share that are sort of you know general broad lessons that people should uh, should take home? Lots. Um, one is it's basic. Business is actually really really easy. Just look after your end user. Create great products. Don't accept rubbish. Create great products you're proud of that your customers love and use and smile about. Find a way to get um, to the customer, the person that pays you the money, in a sustainable way and find a way to keep them in a way that's not about locking them in because they can't go anywhere else but about locking them in because they love your product so much. Build a company that has got a fast and flat organization that can execute on things quickly, uh, that has a culture that uh, rewards success. Uh, and there's certainly a size thing uh, in there as well. Uh, and uh, if you get those basic, have a strategy, by the way, that's global in nature, but niche-like. Mm-hmm. So aim for a global niche of something and be the best in the world at it. Be the, the go-to player for that niche. And tell everybody about it. Tell your staff. Tell your customers. Tell everybody that, that, that talks to you, this is what we do. This is our strategy. This is how we win. And own that space. And look, you know, look after your customer, own that space. All this stuff resonates, whether it's better by design, whether in design thinking, whether it's lean manufacture, whether it's total quality management and Six Sigma, uh, all that sort of formal stuff. Um, you know, whether it's the Evergreen project we did at McKinsey, uh, which uh, looked, which is in search of excellence with numbers, whether it's in search of excellence itself, or all those other, all those other management theories and books, they all come back to the same stuff: do the basics well. And once you've done that. Then you can earn the right to do the fun stuff. Now you talked about global. There, how important is it for New Zealand's future that we focus on businesses that aren't, you know, just small New Zealand businesses serving New Zealanders, but are focused on the rest of the world? That's a leading question. Um, it, it's obviously important, um, but let's not do what Japan did um, in the era of Toyota and Nissan, and that. They had these great export-led companies, but their internal companies and, and systems and processes weren't so good. So it used to be one person, one house was the way they built houses. And so you, you can't, you've got to be internally really efficient as well as export-focused. So we have to build the entire economy. So at Punakaki Fund, we're invest in, in, interested in an in example in both domestically-focused companies and international ones. But the nice thing about international ones is that you're on a much longer, uh, higher growth curve. And yes, if we want to, you know, ultimate aim is to increase our tax takings by increasing our earnings that we get from offshore. That increases our economy. That means we can have a better, uh, more fairer, 
more awesome society, right? Um, and, uh, and, and that comes back to building these businesses. What are the business? What are the? Are there any sort of particular types of uh, uh, you know common threads you're seeing in the businesses that are uh, you know that are doing doing well that you're coming into contact with? They they hang out with the customers. They know who the end users are. They are the end users, right? That's an absolute common thread. It, the ones that the ones that we laugh at are the ones and that we cry at and we get frustrated at are the 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 large corporations that struggle to deliver to our end user needs and you know you're holding a laptop right now and i've got an ipad in front of me and all sorts of gadgets and you know that company understands what we're trying to do with our lives and even if we, before we're trying to do it whereas if you go to a telecom store and try to buy an iphone and peek around the corner at that screen that the poor person working in the store is using it's cobal looks to me like COBOL. It, it's, it is text-based UI stuff mired in, in the 70s. And how can you expect to be an awesome company if you don't get that stuff right? So how important is, uh, is technology to you know, businesses that are going to grow and to be successful? How, how right do we have to get these things? Technology is enabler. So you've got to start with a customer, start with the end user, the technology lets you deliver the product to that customer and end user, right? Whether it's the product itself or part of the product or whether it's just how you actually sell it or deliver it. But let's not mistake technology for the answer. The answer is understanding your end users and understanding your customers and route to market. And technology just, it might help you lock it in for longer. It might help you get an advantage. It might help show the value of your company if you want to sell your services or your products to people. But it is not the answer. And I think we have to... Uh, get away from that mindset that we're here to commercialise technology as a country. We're not. We're here to say there are some interesting technologies, but there are some even more interesting end-user problems that we can solve. And we're very good at that because as New Zealanders, we're very good at understanding multinationals and, and foreign cultures. We travel. We grow up in a multinational, uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural place, and we understand the, the importance of tangata whenua and uh, and in our own Papa says that this is who we are. We and 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 that that works very very well overseas. We treat people with respect and uh, and we're we're trusted. So we can use all that to our advantage. It seems that uh, that some of our certainly our best exports at the moment are uh, are digitally oriented uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I look at other businesses that don't seem to really get the importance of. Uh, um, you know, advancing digitally. Uh, do you think that's holding a lot of businesses back? A lot of New Zealand sort of small businesses that are you know just focused on doing things uh, as they've always done them, and uh, that that will uh, mean that they're going to uh, you know they're going to miss out as the world changes around them. Look, with any business, it's you've got to change or 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 die, basically. You've got to grow, you've got to continuously improve or, or stop. And there are some lines of business where the basics of what you do don't change that much over time, but then along comes a disruptive player, like you know the point-of-sale systems manufacturers. Uh, all of a sudden, the iPad came along, web-based services came along, apps came along, and boom, you know, some upstart com- company from New Zealand is taking over your $15,000 cash register business. And um, so, yeah, you can't be complacent. And at the same time, 
there are a lot of companies that are using these tools to good effect, but it's just a start. And I think there's a frustration uh, – well, I think there's an increasing recognition that you cannot have board members and senior executives in large companies who do not understand IT, or governments for that matter. You've, you've simply got to understand the technology which helps you deliver your, your services and products. So banking is a good example. Banking is 90x% delivered through the web and whether it's on your mobile device or, or your computer. So why are banks still oriented around retail branches? And the answer is because that's how it always was. And the other answer is, well, let's go look at who works in banks, who's on the board, who are the exec teams, and which is the best bank, which was the best bank for years and years and years? Well, it was the one that was run by the guy who used to be the CIO, right? He ended up running ASB and Absolutely. popped across to CBA and Air New Zealand on the way. And, and, sure. and you know, that, that's the, that seems to me like a really obvious thing, but where are the rest of them? Yeah, I think that that's a really that's a really good point, and you know I'm sure you must see a lot of uh, organisations, and I certainly see it, uh, where the leaders want to uh, they they want to be up with the play, but I don't think they want it enough, and uh, you know they're maybe you know well behind in digital matters and in technology. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That will leave their organisations behind if uh, if they don't um, you know take but, these things on board. But this stuff is hard. So one of the things about mm. corporates is that they think about a, a government as well in the same vein. It's not about whether it's a corporate or government. It's about the size of the organisation. And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you kind of get dumber and dumber and dumber because you have to have all these systems and processes in place. Well, you think you do. Great organisations unleash people. So how can you do that if you're a um, if you're a big corporation? And that's your real struggle. So a great leader doesn't necessarily have to know about the technology. It helps, but they do have to know to trust the people. So that person four levels down who really does get it, who may only be twenty five, that person needs power and authority to make stuff happen. And that's extraordinarily difficult if you're a leader of a company. That leader of the company, by the way, probably has kids. And, uh, and kids get new technology, and it's one of the best sources of, uh, of helping these uh, folks understand what's going on. So, I mean, how do you, how do you solve those problems? How do you get those people uh, that are connected and have those ideas? How do you, uh, you know, break through those barriers, the, the systems that have been in place for, you know, 20 years? You talked about, you know, sort of seeing green screens and, you know, older technology within a business. I mean, those things take a lot of time to, uh, to change, right? They're not things you can uh, flick yeah. a switch and solve overnight. So you need to change agent. And that's a role that I've played several times where you walk into a company that is, has a certain way of doing things, whether it's a, a nickel refinery or, um, or a, you know, a, a bank or, or a media company. And, you know, they've recruited you because they've realized that they've got a problem. They've got a fire that's burning, the traditional burning platform metaphor we use, and it's a bit hackney. But, and, and you don't really want to be there unless you've got that fire because – other people don't want to change. People naturally don't want to change. But your best weapon is that people want meaningful work. People want to love to come to work. People want to work in a place where they know exactly what the company is trying to do and they know that they're contributing to it and they know that it's valued and they know that they have power and control in order to make things better. So the first thing to do 
when you when you're a change agent is to get rid of all the non priorities. It's and that's called prioritization. But the actual trick is to stop doing all the all the unnecessary work, and that means identifying the top three or four things and focusing on those. And it also means evangelizing constantly and uh, about the vision of where you're going. So what is what is the succinct message and repeat that right throughout the organization that needs to be that needs to be repeated and third thing it needs and you just keep identifying the priorities and running them home right making fixing that problem and moving to the next one great and you start with the biggest easy ideas but here's the third thing it's keeping the wheels on that's the hardest thing of all so um one of the um criticisms leveled against mckinsey is that because of their wild expense uh, and uh, and the way they operate is that you bring them in and they tell you this is what you should do, and then they go away. And they, but they don't just, you don't just tell you as as a McKinsey consultant, ex McKinsey consultant, you go in and you work with a client and you and you talk to their customers and suppliers and everything else and you figure it out together, right? Um, and then they go away and they leave the big book behind or whatever the plan, the deck, and nothing happens. The real way to do it is that you've got to go in there and stay there right and not let it go because the wheels keep falling off one by one and you've got to keep putting them back on and helping get it in the right direction after a while that thing builds up momentum and and they tell you you no longer need it here because we've got this one and they do they don't need you anymore and it becomes pretty obvious that's you know for a plant of 500 to 2,000 people that's 10 months to sort of 12 months that's a long time Mm. full-time hands-on running extraordinarily quickly with a team of uh, you know, five to 35 people. So I got off track there a little bit. That's, no, you know, that, that's it, good. Yeah. And, are, and are, there any, um, are there any stories you can, uh, you can share in terms of invo- you know, uh, involvement like that in local businesses in New Zealand that you're open to talking about? No. Okay. Uh, it, it, I mean, generally, if someone hires me, it's um, – it's on a you know I sign sort of sure. contracts or NDAs or you don't sign them but you just don't want to talk about them um, on a in a public forum. No, that, yeah. that that's mm-hmm. just fine. Now, um, so I guess moving on, there's there's quite a number of businesses you've been uh, involved in on a founder or co-founder type uh, mm-hmm. uh, type basis. Can you tell us a little bit about those that you're involved in at the moment and uh, and and where maybe one or two of two of those are at? So, um, look the. The one that is front and center, the, the, the elephant right now is Punakaki Fund. Um, and that is, it is something that I've co-founded with, uh, with Chris Humphreys. It's something we've been working on since uh, pretty much full-time since November last year, December. But it's something more, that, more than that. It's something that I've wanted to do since 96 and came back to New Zealand to do in 2003. And, and it's taken me a long time to get to the stage where I could do it. And so raising $20 million uh, uh, to invest in a whole plethora of local internet technology design-led-based companies. That's what we're trying to do, and, and that's, that's what my head's full of. Other ones that, we've, um, that I've worked on, Power Kiwi is one that was, uh, we talked about today. Um, we, uh, we, we worked with PowerShop. We were, they're the only independent retailer on PowerShop and basically rode up their curve and we were there, you know, we, we, were, we had a contract with them and eventually they got to the point where they're saying, well, we're not a shop. You're the only supplier we've got. We didn't ever uh, get the big boys on board. 
Um, and there are good reasons for that. That would have created price competition, and that's what was the point of PowerShop. And because they're owned by Meridian, um, they've also got their own um, uh, motivation issues, and Meridian's IPO is coming up, as you know. Sure. So um, just for just they, um, they bought us out of the contract that we have, um, and we parted ways very amicably. We're, we're very happy to have helped them on their journey. We think PowerShop's awesome. Uh, one of us actually uh, sold his shares in Power Kiwi and flipped across to Power Shop is on the board. That's Rowan Simpson. Great, you know. So, our v- very friendly thing, and yeah, we, we got second in the Deloitte Fast Fifty and eighteenth in the Asia Pacific Fast Five Hundred, and um, you know, it That's just great. goes to show revenue is great, um, but uh, without profits, it's uh, it's not that important. Uh, another one we talked about today, and that we're really excited about, is um, uh, Pocketsmith. I did not co-found Pocketsmith. I invested in Pocketsmith towards the end of last year, um, and uh, you know, zero announced yesterday that they were discontinuing zero personal in november or december next year that's right and uh you know so yesterday we uh i'm on the board and we basically said well that's us right we're we're ideally positioned to take uh to provide a soft landing for those zero personal customers so we want we're going to provide and i've already seen um, a version of it one click importing of all your uh, zero personal data and uh, and then increasingly provide a place where you can land as a zero personal customer and understand the metaphor immediately so that it's familiar to you um, as well as there's all the extra power that Pocketsmith provides. So Pocketsmith is a personal financial manager with um, a bunch of quite unusual sometimes but extraordinary features that the regular PFMs don't have. So most of the customers in Pocketsmith have actually come from Mint.com, which is the huge monster in the room, but it's free. And it's owned by Intuit, um, and Intuit is a big competitor for Zero. So sure. I think Zero are quite happy for us to uh, to take these guys on board. And what what do you think the opportunity is for Pocketsmith? Because Zero have sort of said, you know, that that they don't think that they can make money there. It, it's not it's not uh, it's not core for Zero, right? It's a Zero's market is go through accountants to businesses, right? And they've got it beautifully defined. It took them three years to figure it out, but they've got it beautifully defined, and away they go. The personal finance market is the problem is that the that they if you offer it for free, you lose money because you have to pay for the data, and then getting the data, uh, you know, the BNZ is a real pain in New Zealand because they don't deal with the Lee, who who da- basically deals with every single bank, and uh, scrape and takes the data from from the banks. But getting the data is is largely solved through Lee, but it does cost you money, mm-hmm. um, and then is and then. Most people, this is the interesting thing, most people have moved to having most, I don't know, a, a huge substantial number of people um, have moved to having multiple banks. So your own bank's personal financial manager is not enough. It's not sufficient. You want to have something that you can manage all your accounts. Some people really nerd out over this stuff and really want to go deep in, into it. Others just have a spreadsheet. Others keep it in their head. Others, you know, use the has, have one primary bank and just know what the other accounts are. What we we need to provide is not just for the market of ultra users, which we're doing now, and we're growing pretty well, but we're increasingly backfilling all that simple stuff that the guys kind of just skipped over because it wasn't as cool as the really, really hard stuff. And so we're putting in the easier stuff and making it focusing on usability to make it really easy for the customers to use. So where are we going? We're aiming to just keep organically growing and you know and take Mint's market. That's the ultimate goal is to say – that Mint PFM thing doesn't really work. Our one really does. So we're going to take the cream of your user base. 
which numbers in the millions, obviously, and and we and we'll take and make, or, and they'll pay us money because they see the extra value. Right. So those people that want, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, more than what's free in terms of uh, personal financial management, yep. they'll come to you and you'll uh, gladly take their uh, their coin. Yeah, and work with them to make the product better, mm. and that's something mm. that um, uh, uh, Jason and uh, James have been doing very well. Is um, and again something that perhaps I pushed a bit harder on than they had before which is oh let's actually talk to the customers and listen to the customers and serve the customers and you know help work with the customers as we do betas and things Great. like that yeah now um that's one that you've invested in now a lot of new zealand uh businesses i guess have taken that you know purely the organic growth um you know they've they've financed their own uh startup and mm-hmm. and so on and have never had any outside investors investors can you maybe walk us through what are the different uh you know types of investments uh or you know t- types of uh um yeah funding options available to new zealand businesses where does punakaiki fund uh you know fit into that uh, and where yeah where does Punakaiki fund fit into that picture? So let's come back to your 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 thing about a lot of businesses have never needed funding, um, and my tours is a good example of that where we uh, it was just four or five people and uh, let's you know sweat this thing out to see what we can build and uh, three or four years later lo and behold we've got an employee a few months later there's another one and then there's another one and so we can self fund now it's at the stage where we you know, conceivably could say. Well, if we raise a bunch of money, we're now on that curve. We now know that we're going to rate, make more money if we spend, if we invest more money. Let's say I'm not saying we're looking for money at all. Um, and there are several funding options available. The first one is friends and family and the proverbial fools, which is people that you know that are willing to trust you and back you. And that was what I would say. Trade Me's original investors were they were essentially friends and family of of Trade Me. Um, Certainly not proverbial fools in that case. Well, as it turned out, no. Yeah. Um, well, except uh, there is one guy I talked to the other day who um, who said no. Okay, uh, so <laughs> he's he's probably feeling it uh, every every year since then. Um, the the second um, so that, that that's actually a really good source because they know you, they trust you, and they know that it's money that they may not get back. And this is the most important thing with investing mm. in the very early stages is that you may not get the money back. So don't throw too much of your portfolio into it. Now the next level up starts to get interesting when you're on that curve. And you start to have a little bit of revenue, and that's when you want to take a little bit of money, but not too much, so that you can test whether you can keep growing if you get more cash to grow it with. Um, and and then the next stage after that is about we maybe maybe you've got ten people on the team now, and you can take maybe a million bucks, and you can go to the next level again, get forty people, take another couple of million, you know, and and then another maybe ten million, and and keep going up like that, and do it by stages. So the, the sources, friends and family is one. Um, going to a, a more formal um, or a more re- removed angel is, an, is the next one, and that's a very popular one, which is just – I'm not talking about an angel group here, but an angel, an individual investor or two who have a bit of cash and who don't know you but you've been introduced to by maybe someone who does know you very well. Um, that's a very big source. The angel networks that are being established, I'm not such a big fan of those in the in, – I'm okay with them educating people. I'm not such a big fan of them when it comes to putting together deals when you have lots and lots of people in a round because it makes it very difficult for the business, for the founder, and it's just hard to do. So it's a, there's some good things about those networks, but there's some also some bad things. 
Um, but if they can introduce individuals to businesses, then that's perfect, right? That's really good. Mm. Um, then there are um, there's a there's the higher net worth investors uh, whose names we know who um, who get access to some of the best deals. They don't have a lot of capacity. Those guys they can do one or two or three a year, and depends on who they are and so forth. But then um, there's only a certain amount of the portfolio that they want to put in this. But most of all, there's only a certain amount of energy that they have to put into this space. Uh, then above that, uh, well, there's a gap basically where we sit, uh, which is between half a million and and five million dollars. It's quite difficult to get access to uh, money quickly and uh, with simple terms and fair terms and conditions and with um, with good advice um, behind it if you want it. Um, there are the NZVIF-backed funds. There's um, there's small ones that look at uh, very small investments, and there's larger ones that look at um, larger investments. <laughs> Shocking, I know. Um, and those guys, um, and there's, so there's a SCIF um, ones where you, they'll, SCIF will invest alongside angel groups and things, and VIF will fund, they fund VC firms who invest in firms. The VIF stuff, there's not a lot of deal flow that's been happening over the years for those guys. And one of the reasons is, is that they're, constrained by the contracts that they're forced to write and those contracts are based on what VIF called industry standard practice and uh, what a founder would look at and say that's that's ridiculous and it turns out the industry standard practice has actually um, moved on a bit and while some people have gone off to the let's make it even more complicated and unfair or you know tougher on the founder others have gone to the say you know what all these clauses we have in this contract they don't work you never exercise them you're either going to make something out of this, or you're not. That's it. It's digital, right? It's you're only going to get you're only going to invoke these clauses if you've got if you've crashed it and burned the company. In which case, there's no money there's to fight there. over, and you just you know just walk away. It's not worth the pain. And uh, so we we at Pinnacle we have this very basic, simple approach to contracts, which which we want to make it founder friendly uh, rather than uh, perceived to be investor friendly, but actually is lots of lawyer time friendly, uh, and. Um, so that's that's kind of that ecosystem. And then there's money from offshore. There's some very smart um, investors who are looking at New Zealand and saying, well, that's interesting, and 0.9 capital invested in Vend. Um, and uh, um, Craig Winkler, I think, was one of the smartest investors into New Zealand. He, he went into zero beautifully at 92 cents and then again. And he also he has gone into Vend as well. Um, and um, the problem that those guys have is not access to cash so much. It's access to deals. So they're not sitting here in New Zealand so they don't see the deal flow that a, a local company would see and so that's where we're pitching ourselves is being in the industry here seeing the knowing the people being peers to them so I'm a, I'm a founder myself so uh, you know and I don't want to stop being a founder I don't want to sort of d- move to a different end of the classroom or, and be an investor I still want to be able to say no I'm working on this thing over here it's a genuine thing that we're founding it and so on um, and be seen as a peer because that way um, uh you're not telling people what to do. You're working together to figure out what the answer is. And as soon as you start telling people what to do, then you're going to get into real trouble. Uh, so that's a long answer. And I, um, The other part of the ecosystem are all the advisors. So the advisors, you have uh, incubators, accelerators, and uh, um, you have um, NZTE programs, Callahan Innovation, who, who do have cash as well that they can give out in, in technology grants. And uh, and so on and so forth, and a lot of those players have been, um, along with the angel the groups NZVIF, have been kind of in a bubble for a number of years, and the bubble's fraying at the edges. To be fair, 
and there are some outfits that are getting pretty good at getting out of that bubble and uh but there are other outfits that are really almost not helping and um and and then there's there's also this this occasional move to say well let's build some real estate for people because that's what startups need is expensive real estate and they don't. You know what they need is is a lot of other stuff, and rather take that money and, and invest it into into a fund like this, or into um, into I don't know, paying for flights to go see their customers in the USA and that sort of stuff. Sure. So, um, but but a lot of them are. If, you know, I've, I spoke to the um, Soda uh, uh, yesterday down in uh, Hamilton. They get it. Yeah, they're um, doing some really cool stuff down there. Very cool. A lot of design thinking on the walls, and you know, and and so on. It, you know, it's really good to see. The uh, innovation park out there, they get it. Uh, East Centre up at Massey, up in Albany, they get it. And uh, you know, so you get in these pockets of people getting it. Better by Design, um, is, I was part of that program. Um, they get it. Better by Capital is a new program out of ca- um, Capital Services NZTE. Um, they get it. And uh, Return on Science, which is the Uni Services Investment Committee, have reinvented themselves. They get it. You know, so there's there's more and more things happening where people are getting it and. Uh, and moving forward, and that's great to see. Uh, yeah, I think that's 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 great. Now, I think um, there are probably a lot of people that that wouldn't know where to go and how to get started from a funding uh, perspective. But here's the answer: build a company. So start with your end user, go out and observe them, try something, test it, iterate it, iterate it, iterate it, and do that in the morning. And I'm not kidding. Use plasticine or paper or whatever. And then prototype it, build something, and then just shop it around and sell it. Make a fake brochure up, do some Google ads, just do anything. Sell this damn thing, right? Sell it before you've got it. And then get that. once you've got that first sale, work with that customer, make it better, and do it again and again and again. Build a company, build a business, show us the revenue, show us the end user, show us the product. And then, and then funding's not an issue, right? If, you, if what you're doing is great, then when you put your hand up and say, hey, can we have a coffee? Right then, then rather than showing a business plan or showing your idea, you're showing results. You're showing the product. You're showing the customers, and it's much. And, and you're bringing people along on the journey with you because you can talk again in six months and say, oh, you've gone from ten customers to two thousand. That's interesting. They're all paying customers too, right? That's very interesting. And, uh, and they can say, yeah, but uh, hey, you should have been here six months ago. Um, so, so that's that. To, to I don't. Don't want to cut you off like that, but that's what you've got to do. If you want to raise money, focus on building a business and focus on the long-term success. Absolutely. And, and I, yeah, I think that there, you know, often people are putting their hand up while they've got the idea, and there are a million ideas out there, right? We, we know that, and it's very hard, uh, and very few make it from the idea to the, the, you know, the place you're talking about where actually you've got something that's reasonably successful. Uh, you know, I think you know, often we need help to get to that point to start with. And, and something about ideas that we all take for granted is that um, ideas, are, ideas are generally wrong when you first think of them, and you've got to tell as many people as you can about it and test it with the customers and test it with your peers, and it changes and morphs and gets better. And along the way, as you're telling the story about the idea, some people might say, hey, that's really good. Can I help? Can I join you? Can I be a co-founder? Can, you, can I be your first staff member? And that's how Venn's first employee turned up. Well, that sounds. I think there's there's something really useful in what you've just shared there, and you know, often maybe we just don't talk to enough people and get enough advice, 
Um, I, I'm sure that's you know that that's the case with you know with a number of things I've been involved in, in in the past. When I look back, and I can sort of see some some points where I should have plugged in with more people and maybe plugged in with the right people. So I've, I, I I guess a couple of things out of as you said there. The first one is is a phrase called mental whiplash, which I saw the other day, and that is you get too much advice from too many people, and you're just going left and right, and you don't know what to do. <laughs> Love the, it. The best source of advice is your customer, your end user, right? That's the the, the advisors can help point you the way and, and here and there, but basically talk to your end user. Secondly, get one or two or three advisors only. Don't get fifty. It's nuts, right? So figure out the ones that are actually working for you, but also figure out how you're going to compensate them because it's not, you know, coffee work gets you so far, but um, but at some stage you want them on the on the surfboard, um, and. Uh, I think, and as you grow, you can bring in advice that you need for short periods of time. So you might uh, want to figure out how to enter a particular market. Go hire someone, right? Go 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 hire someone who's an expert in that area to help you understand what you have to do there. And then when they're done, you you know you can either hire them as a consultant or you can hire them as a person. But and, and away you go. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, we're we're probably just about just about out of time. But uh, you know, what else would what else would you l- like to I guess share about uh, Punakaiki Fund from you know from I guess both sides of the fence from those people uh, that are you know looking to uh, looking to invest and those people that are maybe looking for some investment. So I'll share three things or the reasons that we're doing it. The the three reasons are firstly we're doing it for. Because we believe in New Zealand, we're doing it for the country. It sounds really we're doing it for New Zealand. Oh, uh, it's very generous yeah. of you, Lance. But we are. We're, we're doing this because we believe in New Zealand. We believe it's a great place to live and work and play and and raise families. We believe it's a great place to export to the world to grow businesses. It's great to live here. It's great to do business here. It's fun. You know, I didn't walk here because I screwed up. But basically. Uh, you know, you can walk everywhere. You can fly Wellington to Auckland. You know, door to door within two hours. It's just fantastic. We, if, if you, if you, I'm think, hoping everyone listening's on the same page here. If you think it should <laughs> here, go live in the USA, right? Exactly. And just experience what it's like to fly between two cities. It is a wretched, wretched experience. Um, the and and the, you know, our laws here are fair and so on. And yes, we can we we can pick holes in things now and then. This isn't good enough. That isn't good enough. But yeah. We have it so much better than everywhere else, so we're very lucky. Absolutely. And we're our free trade area, so on and so on. The second thing is is that we have this rising tide of founders, and that's the reason. The second reason, we're doing this for the founders, the people who have started something, maybe started something else and something else again, who have learned from each other. That's something I didn't talk about before. They learn mm-hmm. the peer networks here are where you really learn. It's not about advisors. It's about peers. Um, you learn from each other and grow. There's this, this third wave. The, the 16-year-old in 2004 is 25 now. 2004 trade mills hitting its straps. They don't think that, you know, they think that starting a business is normal, right? That growing something awesome like trade is what you do. So there's probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds out there, you know, 15 investable ones that I could probably put my finger on today that we'll be talking to as soon as we open. Right. Um, so those guys, they need a lot of them need access to, um, you know, to the sort of uh, money and uh, and service that we're offering. And the third reason we're doing this is for investors, and we're providing access to an asset class which you just don't get access to. You, people, normal people, don't get access to high growth, early stage, innovative companies. And you're providing uh, 
a portfolio diversification away from high yield stuff like Z Energy and, and, and so forth. Z Energy, by the way, great company, but where's your growth story? Right? And that's not their fault. It's, you know, they're doing a great job, but they're not a, in a growth industry. And so if you have a bit of Z, you have a bit of this as well, and it sure. balances that out. Um, and um, and we will provide liquidity of some sort. We've put together um, where we have to – if we want to get paid as, as managers, we've got to list, right? And the um, and, and the fee structure we put in place is, is very investor-friendly versus the traditional PE model from the USA and, and in New Zealand. And the final thing I want to say is that subscriptions are open now, right? Um, as I speak, perhaps not, but by the time you get this live, subscriptions will be open. And uh, we close on October the 2nd. We have $9 million in pre-registrations from over 600 people. That's correct. And it was brilliant, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then we'll be talking to other people in the background who write bigger checks. And uh, no, we're, we're, it validates what we're trying to do. Uh, but now we're in that really interesting, the, the real launch, right? We've done the prototyping and the testing and the listening to the customers and all that sort of stuff. Now we're launching. So in the next month, it's, is there something here? Are people going to invest? And, uh, and we'll keep people updated as we go. This has been great. You've shared some excellent uh, advice that I, that I think uh, there's probably a lot more we could build on, but I think some, uh, some fantastic information that's shared. So thank you very much for your time, Lance. My pleasure. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to the New Zealand Business Podcast. Now, you can find us online at nzbusinesspodcast.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date with when uh, future episodes are coming out, uh, then please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast uh, application. Uh, And you can also follow us on social media. We're at twitter.com slash nz underscore business. And we're also at facebook.com slash nz business podcast. And you can subscribe for email updates uh, at nz businesspodcast.com also. So thanks very much for, uh, for joining us this time around. And we'll catch you very soon on the next episode.